these verses that we'll study today. We studied them last week, but this week we're going to study them from another perspective. It's from James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19 through 21. Verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I have mentioned to you in recent weeks that I have had a concern for some time now about the manner in which our current culture of evangelism in our churches seem to have a pattern that might have difficulty. It seems to be the norm that very quickly after a person has walked down that aisle and prayed the sinner's prayer, that that new convert is encouraged then to just get up now and go tell others about Jesus. Start doing good things. Showing your neighbor that you love them, especially inviting them to church. And yes, all those things are very good and excellent things to do. But folks, I fear that most new converts, listen, I fear that most new converts won't really know what to say or do once they begin to witness. Now, why would that be so? Well, it's because if most people are like me, when I first gave my heart to Christ in salvation, I really did not know Him. I didn't know Him well, especially. Yes, I knew things about Him, especially that He was my only means of salvation. But I really didn't know the person of Christ. And I certainly didn't know enough about Him and about His ways and about these Scriptures to immediately then be able to get up and go out there and teach others about Him. The example set by the Apostle Paul seems to me to be uh, one of the best paths that we ought to follow in those immediate days, weeks, and months after we've first given our hearts to Christ. Now, yes, Paul did go and do some minor amount of ministering soon after his conversion. And you'll hear preachers speak of that often. But it was not much at all. Immediately, Paul went into seclusion. Right after his salvation experience there on the road to Damascus, he went into seclusion. And by some estimates, for as much as 12 to 14 years, he secluded himself. While he, by his words, he said the Holy Spirit ministered the truths of God to him personally. Now granted, God had a very special and high profile ministry in store for Paul. And most of us will not have nearly as profound and widespread a ministry as God was calling Paul to undertake. And we probably will not need to seclude ourselves for any long period of time as Paul did. But the example, the example that, that he gave is still a good one for us to follow. For us to step on forward and to begin to tell others about the things of Christ, we really ought to know that we're going to give them the pure and holy truths of God. And folks, listen, that takes study. And that takes discipleship. That's the reason Jesus said not only to go out there and evangelize, He said go out there and make disciples. 
It takes discipleship to understand the truths of God. You and I need to spend time studying in His Scripture. In 2 Timothy 5, God commands us, study to show thyself approved unto God. And listen, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. That's so very important. So very important. Now think back with me, if you will, and recall how you felt and thought in those beginning days of your salvation. Even perhaps in the moments that were before those moments that you knelt there and prayed that sinner's prayer. Your heart was being convicted of sin and it was being drawn to Christ by God the Father and by the Holy Spirit. Now during those beginning days, for me, I must confess that my whole attention was focused not upon Christ, not upon Christ, but on myself, on myself. I really didn't know what I needed to do. I just knew I couldn't continue to live in that lost and miserable condition that I was in. Now, may I say that again? During those earliest days of struggle, I was so completely caught up in my own self that wanting to know who God the Father was and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were, that was simply not a part of my thinking. All I knew was that I needed some relief from this heavy burden of sin that I was carrying. And I'd ask you to think back for yourself. Looking back over all those struggles, I know now that it was the Holy Spirit who was bringing much of that misery to my soul because, folks, I I was heavy into sin. And in John chapter 16, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come and He will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's what the Holy Spirit was doing with me during those days. And yes, He did use some of my friends and my family to direct me towards Christ. But it was Him, the Holy Spirit, who brought me that to that final moment when all that I knew was that I had to get my soul inside whatever Christ was offering to me. A place where I could be safe and I could find relief for my troubled soul. But even then, even then, and again, I want you to think back on your own salvation experience. Even then, even after I had surrendered and given my heart to Christ, it was still several months, several months after my salvation that I began to realize that I ought to begin to move on forward in this newfound salvation. I was basking in being saved, and it felt good. But then he convicted me that I needed to move on forward in my salvation on forward into my understanding of who God really was on forward from standing there just inside that doorway of salvation and on into an actual relationship with Christ it was at that time that I knew that I should actually get to know this Savior who had just redeemed my soul and folks listen I do fear that that is a step that many people fail to ever take There are so many people who pray that sinner's prayer and they get up and they go home and then they come back dutifully and they attend church regularly. But they don't take that other step. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they are saved, but barely. They are brides of the bridegroom, but they never get to actually know the lover of their soul. They're just standing there inside that narrow gate, just inside, but never dare to venture on down that narrow path, that path of knowing and loving and walking with the person of Christ. 
And that is such a terrible and unfulfilled way to live a Christian life. It's like a new bride, a new bride who never moves in and lives with her new bridegroom. She's content for him to live somewhere else and only visits with him when she needs him. Again, that is a terrible and unfulfilled way to live a Christian life. All throughout these scriptures are words of sweet invitation for us to step on forward, to get to know and to love this Lord our God. A passage that comes to my mind often is in Matthew 11 where Jesus calls out to us and He says, Come to Me, come unto Me all ye who are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me for I am humble and lowly of heart and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you hear those words that Jesus said there? Once we're saved, we're then His sheep. We're called the sheep of His pasture. We're safely inside the confines of His watch care. But yet, we are so often still carrying all His burdens. And especially habits. Habits that perhaps Owens that we actually brought into our salvation with us. As you well know, we don't lose all those bad habits the moment that we get up from our knees from praying that prayer. We have those old habits, those old burdens. And let me say to you, sheep were never intended to be burden bearers. Sheep were never intended to be burden bearers. They're not built to handle a heavy load. And Jesus knows His sheep well. The burdens that each of us try to carry with us each day, He invites us to come to come up close to Him and to let Him carry the heavy part of that burden. Jesus used so many of those kinds of metaphors and parables. And what He was doing is these words of our Scripture today tell us He was implanting these vivid images, these word pictures within our minds to help us understand the relationship that we're to have with Him. One of my most favorite of those word pictures is that of our being that bride and Him being the bridegroom because that's what you and I are, folks. The moment that we receive Him as our Savior, we are the bride of Christ. At that first moment, we become a bride. And that's more wonderful than we can ever imagine if we will simply reach on further and begin to enjoy that relationship. Which brings a question. Why do we not move on with Him? Why do you not move on with Him? Why don't you move in with Him? Are you one of those brides that's content for your bridegroom to live somewhere else and only call on Him whenever you need Him? Why do we just stand there just inside that doorway of our salvation so still consumed with self why don't we move on into a real relationship with our bridegroom that we become united with? Again, again, this is a step that so many, many Christians, though fully saved, yes, they still for some reason are hesitant to go on ahead and fully take this step, that step of surrender, absolute surrender. Have you taken that step? Yes, you have prayed that prayer. Yes, you can be confident that if you breathe your last today, that you would go to be with Him in heaven. But have you fully surrendered to this bridegroom? Now, 
you and I have a problem in today's culture. Our Western culture standard for marriage is not really the standard that God sets for a bride and a bridegroom. Here in America, we have this equal in every way standard that just dominates the minds of most every husband and wife. And that kind of mindset really can sometimes get in the way of a humble and loving and intimate relationship. Equality in the relationship between a bride and a bridegroom has real firm biblical basis. But let me assure you, that is not all that's involved in that relationship of marriage. He also has set some other standards and requirements, and he has given us some instructions and some commands, some word pictures again within these scriptures to help us to understand what our relationship is to be between a husband and wife. But also, he says in these verses that I'll read for you in a moment, that it's the same relationship that we have with Christ as his bride. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loves the church. We are the church, you and me, as Christ loves us. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves her, the church, and gave himself up for her, sacrificing everything himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now let me ask you, husbands, do you each day cleanse your sweet wife with the washing of the water of the word? so that she might be without spot or blemish as she walks daily before the throne of God. Do you do that? You should. Let me mention, God doesn't invite us to do this. God commands us to do this. Husbands, do you cleanse your wife with the washing of the water of the Word daily? Also, too, Second Peter 3 is another wonderful word picture that God has put into my mind. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat your wife with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So then, husband, myself, are you considerate as you live with your sweet wife all through the moments of the day? Do you treat her with the utmost of respect? Are you ready to protect her from the wiles of the devil as she goes through her day? This verse that I just read mentions a weakness. I don't know what the weakness is, but it says that we are to respect our wives as the weaker partner. What God is saying to us there is we are to step out in front. If Adam had stepped out in front of Eve, we'd have had a different world today. But he didn't. He failed. I don't want to fail at that. I don't want you to fail at that. So, are you, am I ready to protect our sweet wives from the wiles of the devil as she goes through her day? You should. I must. Now, in these words of Scripture, God reveals to us His plan for the relationship that should be held between every bridegroom and a bride. And in these words also, I found that as a bridegroom, I really do have a much greater 
responsibility than just being an equal partner with my wife. There's so much more involved that the Lord has for us. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. He took that initiative to do everything that it took to save and to sanctify my soul as his bride. And he continues to do that daily in his intimate watch care over me as his bride. I need him every hour, as that song says. But I, as the bride, must be willing to receive his blessed love and watch care over me. I must surrender myself. And that's a hard thing to do, to surrender this thing within us called self, especially that part of myself that has to do with pride. He wants me to surrender all of that into his loving care, and not just a little, but completely, completely, absolutely surrender it all. I recall some years ago when I read a book by that name, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray, and I would commend it to you. Its words helped me to realize that there was so much more to this Christian life and to my relationship with Christ than just the benefits that I receive, where he took away all of those burdens of my sin. Do you know he took away also my desire for so many of those sins? Isn't that wonderful? He not only removed the penalty for the past sins, he took away so many of the desires for the new sins that I might commit. But it was with, as I read that book that I realized that I needed to give up myself and to give my heart in unconditional surrender unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ and to allow Him to become Lord of my life. Is He Lord of your life? Or is He just your Savior? Is He just your Creator? You know, a Lord has the right to tell you what to do. In this case, the Lord is always good. And He'll always tell you good things. Is He Lord of your life? Is He Lord of your wife's life, husband's? Because that's part of the washing of the water of the Word that cleansing. He wants us to surrender. And no, it's not just a one-time transaction. It's a daily surrender that's part of what God calls in these scriptures sanctification. Brother Gary was talking about it a while ago. It's every moment. It's every moment. He wants us to surrender. That's our sanctification. And it's good. It's so very good once we go ahead and do that. And folks, it's one of those things about those things that taste and feel especially good. Once you do it, it really does feel good. And you want to do it again. And he made that as part of his way of drawing us into it. Something mystically sweet about complete surrender to Christ. And so with each new surrender, we begin to want to surrender more and more and more. And then we find these words coming to us here in Philippians 3 where he says, we would cry out, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so then somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Folks, listen, now, now is the time for each of us to take that step of absolute surrender. And as we do, it's then. When as we read verses like this, these that we are reading here today, our first thoughts then will not be about self. They used to be, but they won't be so much anymore. They'll be about something else. Not about improving ourselves, how to best live a better life, but rather it'll be about how I can please and bless this Savior of mine. 
Friends, these words within this Bible are so much more than just an instruction book. So often we take it as being a self-improvement course. What should I do in this case? So we lift, flip through the pages and we find a verse to tell me how to do something. That's not it. That's not it. It's having this intimate relationship with Christ that we then perceive His nature because His nature is now within us. But the only way that you and I, the way God has prescribed for you and I to get to know Him is through reading these words of truth, through memorizing Scripture. Do you read Scripture daily? How much time do you spend in Scripture as compared to the time you spend perhaps on cable news each day? He says, the way you get to know me is through these Scriptures because they reveal me to you. And the only way you and I are going to do that is just buckle down and start to read and study His Word. And as we do, we'll come to understand that there's so much more of a, and a greater purpose behind our need to know Him than just this purpose of making me a nicer person, a person that doesn't have all the burdens that I used to have. Here in verse 20, God tells us the purpose, the, the real why behind His instructions, and that is the purpose is for us to reveal and to produce the righteousness of Christ. We thought it was all about us. We thought it was all about us, but no, it's about Him to produce the righteousness of God. Now, yes, these behaviors and these responses of being slow to speak and slow to anger and, and quick to listen, they're going to bless other people. They're going to bless our spouse. They're going to bless our friends. But that's not the first and most important reason for why we need to know Christ, our Savior. Our first desire must be to accomplish and to produce the righteousness of God because that is the first thing that He commands of, of us. In Colossians 3.17, listen to these words. He says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you ask that question when you get ready to step into a circumstance? Folks, there is a why and a very supreme why behind everything that you and I will be doing each day. And it is for this purpose, to bring glory to God. Again, yes, godly behavior is good. You know, it's really good. And it will bless others. First John, all five chapters, second and third John, is about loving our neighbors. But you can't do that until you love Him this way. And so these godly behaviors, yes, they are good, but first our behaviors and our responses are to bring glory to God. Now, before I close, and I'm running out of time, I want us to go back and revisit some of those words that I said at the beginning of this message. That you and I need to really be careful about what we tell others to do, especially new believers. Yes, a childlike faith, and, and I've heard this said so many times, but also misspoken. A childlike witness, it really can do so much. The, the kind of childlike witness that you would have that first moment that you get up from your knees from praying that sinner's prayer. But let me tell you, if you go out and start talking to people without knowing Christ, at best, you're going to give them half-truths. And half-truths are where so many people go astray. 
Childlike faith is good, but God tells us, listen, God commands us to not keep a childlike knowledge. Yes, a childlike faith, but don't be content with a childlike knowledge of him. He says, again, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As you share the word of truth with others, you need to rightly divide it the way God wants you to. As children of God, you and I really do need to move on forward, to get to know this Lord Jesus that has done so much for us, saved our souls, and brought us to Him. And we, you and I, are going to be able to do that through knowing, reading, and knowing His Word. Let me close with some of my favorite scripture. This is in Hebrews 4. The Word of God is living and active. So you, you open this book, this Bible, and you read. The Word of God is living. There's life in those words. Now, I don't understand that. You and I will never understand it, but there's real life. It's not metaphorical, it's real. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It can get right down in there between our soul and spirit, and it can discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. If we'll open this book and read it, we'll be convicted of what we ought to be doing, what we did wrong, of all that Christ is. And he says of us, he says, nothing in all creation is hidden. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Please, please read your Bibles every day. Let's pray.